It is December 27th. We made it through Christmas. How was your Christmas this year? Mine was uh, crazy and wild as usual. You know, just a crowded mall, could not find a parking place, trying to go shopping. You know, a house full of people the whole time, people in and out, in and out, in and out. Then on Christmas Eve, running back and forth to church for the Christmas Eve service, grandkids climbing in my lap, all of that. Wait a second. These notes are from a different year. Never mind. Sorry. This was Christmas 2020. We didn't do any of those things this year, did we? This is the year which shall live in infamy in most of our hearts, right? And for many of us, let's be honest, Christmas was not exactly what we would have liked it to have been. For a lot of us, Christmas was a bit of a letdown this year. And I have to say that as much as I enjoyed our Christmas Eve service online, uh, I really, really miss seeing my church family. And, uh, you know, I've missed seeing you guys for months and months and months, but on Christmas Eve, I really felt it like, wow, I wish I could have seen you guys on Christmas Eve. We could celebrate together in that way. And so, you know, we're not going to pretend that it hasn't been a little challenging this year. It's been a different kind of Christmas for sure, but As we come to the end of 2020, I have to say that of all the years that I have lived, and it's getting to be quite a few years, this past year is not going to be remembered by me as one of the peak years in my life. This is more of a valley year, you know what I mean? Um, I think you do know what I mean. And, you know, while most of us did our best to make lemonade out of lemons, um, I have to say that if we never have another Christmas in quarantine year, that will be just perfectly fine by me. And I'm guessing you feel kind of the same way. But as we get ready to turn the page on the calendar into 2021, and we all sort of look forward to celebrating with Ryan Seacrest in the empty Times Square this year, I think we're all looking forward to that fresh start. We're all looking forward to looking at a calendar that doesn't say, 2020 anymore and 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 it's my hope that 2021 will be significantly better in every way than 2020 has been but you know the truth of the matter is and you know this from experience life is full of peaks and valleys we 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 all deal with highs and lows and ups and downs in life and and those peaks and valleys they're very real not just in 2020 But every year, we all go through valleys in life. And so I thought today it would be valuable for us to really consider this question. Since we're going to be going through valleys in life from time to time, how are we going to live while we're in those valleys? And, And the answer to that question, believe it or not, is primarily up to you. How you live when you're in times of um, low places is really a question that you get to answer for yourself. You don't have to be the victim of the circumstances of life. You can, in fact, be sort of the captain of your own destiny as you walk with God. And so I just want us to think about that a little bit today. And And I want us to take some examples from Scripture. I want us to think about some people that we're all familiar with from the Bible 
who also lived through some highs and lived through some lows. And I, and I want us to see that what we've been going through is not so unusual. It's not so strange. It shouldn't be so surprising that sometimes there are some great times and sometimes there's some difficult times. So I want to start today by looking at a very well-known Bible character by the name of Moses, right? He lived through some peaks and valleys. In Exodus chapter 3 and 4, and I'll let you read this on your own this week, but in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we have Moses having what you might call a burning bush experience. In fact, he has the original burning bush experience, right? He has this experience with God where God just, just crashes into the scene in his life and makes himself known. Where he doesn't have to wonder what God's thinking or wonder where God is or wonder what's going on with God. But, but he sees this bush that is burning and it's not consumed. And he turns aside and he hears the voice of God speaking to him from the bush. Now, it has not been a good time for Moses. Moses has had a hard time and he's been in the, uh, in the wilderness and he sees this bush and he hears from God. And it's an incredibly uplifting, promising moment, Exodus 3 and 4. And God introduces himself to Moses in a fresh way. And God says, Moses, I have a plan for your life. And it's not just for your life. I have a plan for the whole world. And you are going to be central in that plan. And so, Moses, I'm going to use you to change the world. You're going to go with me. You're going to experience me. And he gets the chance to to have miraculous powers, and he gets a, a vision from God for his life and where it's supposed to go. It is an incredible, incredible peak experience for Moses. So in Exodus 5, he and Aaron go marching into Pharaoh's office with their list of demands. Hey, Pharaoh, God spoke to us, and he said he wants you to do this and this and this. Basically, he said, let my people go, and you better do it. And they're confident because they know that God has sent them. They've heard the voice of God. They've seen the miraculous powers that God has given. And so they go confidently marching with their chest sticking out into Pharaoh's office, and they say, here's how it's going to be. And Pharaoh throws them out in their ear. He tells them to pound sand. He says, it's not going to happen the way you think. He gets mad. And he decides that if Moses is going to walk in and make these kinds of demands, he's going to make the people of Israel pay for it. And so, not only are they forced to labor as they have been, but their labor is increased their quotas remain the same, but they're not given straw to make bricks. And then they're beaten and persecuted when they can't keep up with their quotas until finally the people start calling out to Moses and complaining to Moses and Aaron, I can't believe you did this. Why would you do this? How come you've done this to me? Where is this God you were talking about? The people don't get it. And guess what? Moses doesn't get it any either. If you were Moses, you'd probably be pretty confused right about then, wouldn't you? I mean, you know you had this experience with God. It was, a, it was the peak experience of your life. And God spoke clearly and you knew that God had a great plan. And he was going to use you to accomplish this great plan. There's the burning bush, the special calling, the miraculous powers, the promise of God. 
And now this? And now the people of Israel are being punished? And now their work is increased? And now their chances of ever getting out of this situation have lessened? How does this work? And so Moses does what some of us have done during 2020. He goes to God with some serious questions. Take your Bibles and open to the book of Exodus. It's very early in your Old Testament. You've got Genesis and then Exodus. And I want you to go to Exodus chapter 5 and join me as Moses goes back to God and says, Hey, I need an explanation for this. Check this out. Uh, Exodus 5, beginning in verse 22. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. <laughs> hey God, I know I heard you right. I know you made some promises and I did what you said. And you know what? You haven't done what you said. Why did you even send me into this mess? Why would you even cause trouble? They didn't have enough trouble already. You had to cause this trouble. You said you were going to deliver them and you have not delivered them. Now, I don't know how you feel about Moses talking to God that way, but I have talked to God that way a few times in my life too. Sometimes when you're sitting in a hospital room, you, you want to talk to God that way. Sometimes when you're at a cemetery, you want to talk to God that way. Sometimes you, you're financially ruined. You've lost your job. You're filing for bankruptcy. You want to say to God, hey, where are these promises of abundant life that you made to me? Because I'm not feeling it right now. Why did you even call me if this is the life that you have for me? I'm sure you can relate to that kind of feeling. I know I can. But I'm also intrigued by God's response to Moses here. If you, if you just turn a page to chapter 6, let's, let's pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you. For a possession. I am the Lord. Let, let me just summarize God's little speech 
to Moses there. He's saying, hey, Moses, I have some news for you. I am God. And you know what that means? You're not. I understand. And you don't. I have perspective. And you don't. I am faithful. And you aren't. Listen, Moses, I know this is hard for you. I know this is uncomfortable for you. I know you're confused. I know you don't understand. But I just want to remind you of something. I am the Lord. You can trust me. I got this. I have a plan. Now, I, I don't want to spoil the ending if you don't know the story. I'll let you read it this week at Exodus. But you know what? God's plan turned out to be pretty doggone good. It, 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 it turned out to work out very well for Moses and the children of Israel. Now, that's example number one. Let me give you another example from the Old Testament. It's another well-known guy, another prophet. This guy's name is Elijah. And he went through some peaks and valleys in his life too. And if you don't know the story, again, read it for yourself this week. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18 and that whole section there. But in 1 Kings 18, Elijah has one of the greatest moments of his life. You talk about a peak. You see... Elijah's alone speaking for the Lord, and there's a wicked king and a wicked queen. The people of Israel have turned away from God. Now there are these false prophets that are worshiping this God called Baal, and they are, they're calling the people of Israel to worship Baal. And uh, Israel is going through a drought, and nobody understands what's going on. And so Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, 850 of them. And he challenges them to this sort of duel, this sort of uh, showdown out. And everybody comes to watch. And he says, let's find out who the real God is. And God comes through in amazing ways. You have to read this. It's incredible. But he sends down fire from heaven and he makes himself evident. And not only that, but he puts to death all of the false prophets for their blasphemy. It's, it's Elijah's great moment. His victory at Mount Carmel. But I don't know if you've noticed this. The thing about peaks is that they're often right next to valleys. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Again, 1 Kings, Old Testament. It's, uh, you know, another seven, eight books beyond where you're at. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Where it speaks of Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Man, you talk about a swing. He goes from ecstatic to suicidal in four verses. 
He, everything's great. God has showed himself strong. God has proven himself. And all of a sudden this lady says, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And he's, he's wrecked with fear. And he takes off running for his life. And he finally gets to the wilderness and he goes, God, I just want to die. My life is so terrible. How can it be so awful? I just want to die. From ecstatic to miserable overnight. Some of us can relate to this very well. But again, I'm captivated by God's response to Elijah's despair. God nourishes him, gives him some rest. And then um, he takes him up to a mountain, right? From the valley to the mountain. And he gives him some encouragement there. Pick it up in verse 15, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about... The one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehel, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let me, let me wrap that up for you. He's saying, hey, guess what? You feel like it's over, but it's not over. I still have a plan for your life. Because I still have a plan for Israel. Now I'm going to give you some instructions about your future. He just is basically saying, hey, Elijah, I got this. I'm still in control. Just because you got scared doesn't mean I have lost control of things. Just because you don't know what's next doesn't mean I don't know what's next. Just because you're not in control doesn't mean I'm not in control. I have a plan. I'm not finished yet. I'm God. Trust me. You guys, there's examples of this all throughout the Bible. But I think before we wrap this up for today, let's look at one New Testament example of this. His name is Paul. You know about the Apostle Paul. He wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament. And and his life was absolutely filled with peaks and valleys. He stood before kings and he rotted in prisons. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he alludes to one of the highest highs of his life. He talks about one of those peaks that took place in his life where he's given a vision of heaven. God takes him up and shows him heaven. It's arguably the highest high in his life. It's the greatest moment of his life. But like so many of us, even on the heels of a great moment, we can experience some very low lows. And so take your Bible, go to the New Testament this time, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, which is such a fascinating book, you know, Paul is just very raw and open in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, here's what he says. Pick it up with me in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7. 
He's talking about this vision that he saw, and then this is what happens next. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if he literally stepped on a thorn. We don't know if this was some sort of ailment that he couldn't seem to kick. We don't even know if this was like a, a tribulation or a trial or a difficult person in his life. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. But he says it was given to him to keep him from exalting himself. And then he calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me. God allowed Satan to torment Paul just like he allowed Satan to torment Job. Just like he has at times allowed Satan to torment you and allowed Satan to torment me. And he says, God allowed this to keep me from exalting myself. Verse 8. Concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, this is Paul. He has the power to heal at a word and a touch. He has the power to cast out demons. He's even had the dead raised. And now he's got a thorn in his flesh, whatever that might be, and it won't go away. Verse 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Let me summarize one more time. Hey, Paul, I know you're hurting, but let me remind you, I'm the God who spoke the universe into existence, and I am good, and I am just, and I am loving, and I got this. I got this under control, and you know what, Paul? You don't understand it, but I have a plan. And it's a plan for your life, and it's bigger than any plan you might have for yourself. It's bigger than any thought you might have of what would be a great life. So trust me, I'm God, and I got this. You know, guys, it might help. Let's remind ourselves here of the biblical definition of success that Paul gives us. In 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he basically sums it up and he goes, here's the definition of success. Success is to be pleasing to God. It's the only purpose of my life, he says, to be pleasing to God. Now, when we start getting our human view of success and letting other people define success for us instead of God, we can get disappointed so easily. But when we remember that life's about being pleasing to God, that changes everything, you guys. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about my plan. It's about his plan. When Moses marched into Pharaoh's office, he thought he understood what success was, but God had a much bigger plan, and that involved some valleys between the peaks. When Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, he thought he was experiencing success to the utmost. And God had a different de de definition of what success is. And he was about to expose Elijah to that definition. God had a bigger plan for Elijah's life. And he was about to show Elijah that he is the God of the universe, even between the peaks. 
And when Paul got to see heaven, he thought he understood what real success was. But God was about to show him that he, God, is enough for us, even in the lowest points of our lives. My friends, don't let your circumstances pull your eyes off of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same God who led the children of Israel into the promised land. The same God who took Elijah up in a chariot. The same God who used Paul to write the New Testament. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the same God who has a plan for your life, even in 2020. And he has a plan for your life in 2021. And you know what? It's not what you think it is. It's bigger. It's better. God's plan is even better than your plan. And he's enough for you. It's been a tough year. God knows that. But your time in the valley does not mean that God has abandoned you or forsaken you. That has not happened. He promised it never will happen, and God keeps his promises. Now, let me close with one more Old Testament example. And, and you know, I talk about this a lot. It strikes me so deeply King David wrote Psalm 23. And I want you to realize that by the time he wrote Psalm 23, he had been through some stuff. David had already buried several of his own children. David had lived in a cave. David had run for his life. David had been disappointed and brokenhearted. David had had to face giants. David had been through a lot when he wrote Psalm 23, that famous psalm that we love so much. And so when he wrote about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he knew what he was talking about. That was not just poetic language for David. He knew grief. He knew pain. He knew disappointment. And he knew the confusion of not understanding why what he thought God was going to do wasn't happening. That's why I love the famous words, of verse 4 from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Guys, let's remember who our good shepherd is. And let's remember this. If you follow the good shepherd, make no mistake, sometimes he will lead you into dark valleys. For some of us, 2020 is proof of that. But let me remind you, as we wrap up this year, he doesn't send us into dark valleys. He leads us into dark valleys. He takes us into dark valleys. And one more thing, he doesn't leave us in dark valleys. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. There is an end to the tunnel. 
And so let me ask you this. Have you lost sight of God in the darkness of the valley? If so, let this be your call to look around. Find evidence of God again in your life. Call out to him. Grab his hand. He hasn't forsaken you in the valley. He hasn't abandoned you in the valley. God is still God even when you don't understand. He's been with you through every valley you've ever been in. That's why you don't have to fear. God is with you. He has a great plan. And your only responsibility is to keep holding on to his hand. And even when you feel too weak to do that, don't worry, he's going to hold yours. Just don't take your eyes off the good shepherd. He leads you in, he leads you through. He's got you. He's got this. He's got a plan, and it's bigger than you realize. So whether you find yourself enjoying life from a mountaintop right now, or whether you find yourself in the darkness of a valley, not really able to see the light of the sun, let me remind you, there is no need to fear, for God is with you. He has a plan, and it's a great plan. Keep following the Good Shepherd. Father, we just want to say thank you that you have not abandoned us, forsaken us, or left us to just deal with this without you. All the struggles that we have dealt with, whether it's been in 2020 or other times in our lives, you've always been there, Father. You've never changed. You've always been faithful. And so remind us as we close out this difficult year and look toward what we hope will be an easier year. It's not really about our plan, Lord. It's about yours. It's not really about our power. It's about yours. It's not really about our strength. It's about yours. It's not about our goodness, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's about yours. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to hold your hand, even in the darkness of the valley and in the shining light of the sun. Let us never, ever lose sight of our good shepherd. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.